Well, it is good to be together in the house of the Lord again this morning. And uh, I have to confess to you, I did have a prayer this morning uh, as we were preparing for service, and that was, Lord, if it'd be okay, I'd really like to preach today. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's be honest about that. Put that right out there. For those of you that might not get that, um, you know, uh, I was I was ministering and and traveling for uh, three weeks ago and two weeks ago, and so I was excited back to be back with us last Sunday morning, and then God sort of did something completely different, and um, I, which was beautiful and wonderful, and. Uh, at, uh, as things were unfolding, and it was right around noon, which it felt like it was about 10.15, but um, I whispered in Ken's ear, and I said, uh, I'm kind of thinking that maybe the message has been preached. Do you think it'd be okay? You know, I got to check with the head elder there, and he said, uh, yeah, you know, I think you're right. So so we just released that, and uh, that that's just all right. And then uh, Sunday night, Annette and I went over to Minneapolis just wanting to soak more in the presence of the Lord. And uh, lo and behold, sure enough, uh, there was no preaching that took place in Minneapolis last Sunday night either because uh, the Lord sort of, you know, I I put it this way. The Holy Spirit uh, moves the way he likes, and he likes the way he moves. And so, um, you know, and uh, it was incredible testimonies of the goodness of God. And we're just... All over in this house, life is springing up in incredible ways, and uh, I hope that you're kind of connecting into that, and if you haven't yet, I'm praying that through this time and through this season of, of prayer and fasting that you'll, you'll really press in uh, and hear God's heart, his love for you, uh, get a glimpse of his holiness, um, get a glimpse of of the dreams that he has for you and your life and your family and your workplace and our church and our community and the nations. And um, we just, we're, we're just, you know, fasting is all about getting ourselves properly positioned so that we can be in alignment with him. We're not trying to get God to align with our thoughts. We're trying to get our thoughts and our plans and our purposes and our hopes and our dreams to align with his. Okay. So don't ever misunderstand in fasting. Um, I used to, uh, when I first started fasting, I would be like, oh, God, do you see the wonderful things I'm doing here for you, how I'm sacrificing? Wouldn't you like to bless these things that are of concern to me? And he'd say, well, hmm. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's where we're at. Years ago, um, some of you know that uh, my first pastorate was um, out in northern Minnesota. Uh, kind of up about two hours from here in a little town called Kettle River. And uh, we lived in the suburbs, and the church was located in the suburbs of Kettle River. Kettle River was a booming metropolis of 174, um, depending, you know, it was give or take a couple, depending on births and deaths, I suppose, and dogs and cats and cows and I don't know what all. But anyway, um, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a marvelously... Uh, it was a wonderful first pastoral experience, and it was a marvelously uh, culturally educational experience for Annette and I, who both grew up in Chicago, to go there and uh, be out in the middle of nowhere. And um, But I can still remember back to I, a lot of what um, my ministry entailed, probably 
maybe 40% of my time was spent um, actually just driving around visiting with folks because in a rural parish, that's part of, uh, that's just part of the program. And so I had my little, that time I think I was driving a little Mazda GLC and I'd go out to farms and, and uh, hang out with farmers and hang out with different folks and go into town and visit people. And um, I don't even remember exactly the connection of why. I think some kids had started coming to our church and I, I decided to go, I, I, I can't, I just can't fully remember now the, what the occasion was or what it was that brought me to go visit this particular family. But um, I went to visit um, a family that um, at least for sure the wife had never come to the church. Uh, in fact, it wasn't the wife, the, 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 the woman who was partnered with the guy here. But um, she had never been to church, and I don't remember if he had been or not. And so I, I went, though, to visit because um, that's part was part of my pastoral um, work that I was doing. So I went and I knocked on the door, and um, he came to the door, and um, I said, you know, just wanted to stop by and visit. Would just like to spend a little time, maybe just talking, praying together. If you got any questions, whatever, you know, just just a, a, a pastoral caring visit. And um, he said, well, um, do you think you could come back in just a few hours? And I said, you know, that would be fine. Um, I think I had uh, found them uh, where they felt like maybe their home wasn't. Uh, right, presentable at that moment for the pastor to come in and visit. So, um, so anyway, I came back in a few hours and I knocked on the door and I went in. Well, the kind of the back story to this is um, the gal was um, was really um, honest. You know, in small towns, you kind of know a bit of who people are just through just through the um, the uh, com- communal internet that happens in small towns, okay? And um, so uh, this gal really was sort of known as the proverbial Samaritan woman. If you know the biblical story of the Samaritan woman, you know, you've had all of these husbands, and the husband, the man you're with now isn't your husband either. This truly was this gal's story. And... um, so I walked in, and I can still remember them sitting on the couch, and I'm sitting in this chair, and this is how the conversation opened. She said, well, Pastor, she said, thanks for stopping by. I, you know, I have a question for you. Could you help me try to understand this? Um, she said, I had this dream last night, and I need help understanding what it means. She said, So I had this dream, and she said, and I saw in my dream, I saw that there were these two paths. And one path was going up, and at the end of that path, there was this bright, bright light. But this other path, at the end of that path, there there was these burning flames. She said, could you help me understand... This is the honest truth. Can you help me understand what that means? Okay, well, I mean, you know, you can drive a bus, a caravan through that. Because obviously what God 
I mean, God had just beautifully set this up so that here was this woman who, with no biblical background or knowledge, with no understanding of what there is to be able to share about the wide path and the narrow path and life and death and heaven and hell and eternal consequences. I mean, you know, it's like right here. This morning, we are continuing a series of messages that we began here in the new year entitled Living the Dream. Living the Dream. And specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at, again, the story of Joseph, which is found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And if you've got your Bible, what I'd really like to ask you to do is take it out and turn to Genesis chapter 41, because that's going to be the focus of our conversation this morning. And before we dive into the passage itself, I want to just give you a little bit of background about the story of Joseph and this whole, because it's been just a little while since we've been back in, so let's dive back in for a moment in terms of understanding the context of Joseph's story. The first part of Joseph's story is found, we've entitled Discovery, and it's from birth to 17 years old. And it covers the, the, the part of the story in the scriptures from Genesis 30, verse 24, where Joseph is born. But specifically, Genesis 37, 1 to 11, really covers that time up to the point where Joseph is 17 years old. When in the very first portion there of Genesis 37, Joseph, a, a dream from God is birthed in Joseph's life. And he sees those visions, he sees those dreams, tells his brothers, tells his father and mother, and that all kicks in the second part of of, uh, Joseph's uh, process of the dream. But remember Jeremiah 29.11, this is so key and important for us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has, and the word there, the plans, means thoughts, but it even means more than that. He has inventions for us, innovations. He has dreams for us. He has purpose for our lives. God has created you uniquely to fulfill a specific calling and purpose and destiny that he's placed in your life that was there in his heart, even from the moment of your conception, And he knows these plans that he has for you. And they are good plans, as Lynn was so helpfully exhorting us this morning. He's he's got plans to give you hope in a future because of his immeasurable love for us. All right? So this piece of discovery is discovering those plans, those purposes, those thoughts that God has for and about our lives. And that's something that's sort of an ongoing process. I mean, Joseph had the, you know, he, he discovered that at really at the age of 17 when he had these dreams when he was just a, a shepherd boy out in the field. Suddenly, God reveals to him what that's... For some people, that happens at 17. Other people, it happens maybe at 77. I don't know. 
But there is a discovery that's a part of learning to live this dream. The second portion, the second part is the development of that dream. And we're right on the cusp this morning of turning the chapter from part two of Joseph's life to part three. But what we're going to get this morning is very essential to understanding the development of Joseph's dream. Now, we've already had some wonderful messages about that, that, that we've had, you know, the, the seducers of the dream and the destroyers of the dream and, uh, you know, all of those things that come in and, and, and the things that, that help to temper and test and develop those dreams. Um, Psalm 105, verse 17 to 19 says this about Joseph, and he sent a man before them. This is God. Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true, or in some translation, tested him. There's a testing that takes place in our lives. I shared this picture with you, and I'll share it again. Um, when I was in college, one summer I worked at the factory where my dad worked. And this was a drop forge. It was a forging company, Modern Drop Forge. And um, they made parts for all kinds of different things, automobiles and trains and medical devices and everything else. And in a forging plant, you have a, a forge, which is a large piece of block of steel into which is etched a mold very precision. That was what my dad did. He was a die sinker, had a very skilled trade, did that. Then those would go into the hammer shop, huge, huge hammers, multi-story hammers, and heated iron would be put in to the, the mold would be set in the hammer. The heated iron would go in. The, the hammer would come down. The, the, for, the, the mold would come out. The part would come out. And then the next step was to go to the heat treat plant. And so it would go to the heat treat which is where I had the opportunity and joy of working, where there's a, a, a furnace that is, is raised up to a, like a bazillion degrees, you know, and, and South Chicago summertime, you know, it's already 105 outside, and you'd walk outside, it felt like air conditioning after being in by the, the furnace of the heat treat. But, but the parts would go through this thing, at, through, through a conveyor belt, through the furnace, and then they'd bounce along, and then they'd bounce out of the furnace. And my job, I would have a long pole with a you know steel hook on it, and I was to look at those parts. And if any of the parts, if there was something lit up in any of those parts, it would reveal any kind of crack or fissure in the part. And then I'd have to pull that off to the side. It was like a preliminary early warning system for quality control, and that's how the parts... So they went through the testing process of the furnace. Well, guess what? God's got a furnace, <laughs> which he uses in our lives. Because when he puts something in us, a plan, a purpose, a, a dream, the thoughts that he has for us, it's not, you know, you're not suddenly, you know, just tripping along through the daisies. But, and, and, and this is manifestly true, the larger that purpose of God in your life becomes, and each step of unfolding of that purpose in your life, God will turn up the heat 
again to continue that process of testing and development. He's, he's really intent on this. God, God is very focused on what he does. He's very intentional about what he does. It's not sort of random and thoughtless. It's very, very, very intentional work that he does in our lives. Now, the last portion, which we'll be beginning next week, is the destiny, then, of the dream. So the dream's been discovered. The dream has been a process of development. And then that dream, and we're going to see that even at the end of the passage this morning, that destiny beginning to unfold in Joseph's life. And that will take us through the end of the story of Joseph. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Sam spoke about dreams in the dungeon. And I'm just going to mention this, and I would encourage you to get the CD. You can sign up in the back. You can go to the website. It's important for us to, you know, as we're walking through this process, I want to encourage you to get all of the steps of the process so you can kind of see the dreams as they're unfolding. But he talked about three different types of dungeons that can happen. There, this would be, dungeons would be another term for those furnaces that happen in our lives. One is the darkness, simply when things are, when we go through what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Those are the times when it seems as if God is absent It seems as if all around you is in fog and cloud and darkness. And if you've never walked through one of those, I don't even have to have a prophetic gift to say, if you're going to keep pressing in and walking with the Lord, there will be times. We sang about it this morning. The Kim writers understood this. That's why their words ring so true in our hearts. Though the darkness hides me. Sometimes there's just a... There, there, there can be times in our lives where we experience those darknesses, disappointments. I don't know. Anybody here ever had a disappointment? Anybody here ever never had a disappointment in your life? I want to know you. I really do because you can pray for me. But I think all of us have at times in our lives experienced the testing of disappointment when it just didn't happen the way you thought it would huh, that's not how I saw that going at all. All right? This is part of the furnace that happens in our lives. It's part of those dungeons. The third is the dungeon of delay. How long, O Lord? Okay? Over and over again in the Psalms and over and over ago, over and over again in the scripture you hear the men and women of God in one way or another they may articulate it in different words but the basic underlying gist of it is how long how long now if you remember back to the story that Pastor Sam was bringing us into the, 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 the particular part of the account of Joseph's life that we looked at when, when, when Pastor Sam spoke last couple weeks ago was about the cupbearer and the baker and the dreams that they had. And Joseph shared with them the dreams. And Joseph said, you know, uh, and remember 
um, after that, Joseph said to them, you know, when you are set, remember me, okay? Remember me, don't forget me, all right? When you go and tell, tell them, all right? So, um, but when all goes well with you, 4014, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Joseph is 28 years old. He's just shared the dreams, or, or, or the interpretation of the dreams that the, that the baker and the cupbearer had for him, and those dreams proved true. And he's saying, remember me now. So now we turn the page to chapter 41, verse 1. And what does it say? When two full years had passed. It wasn't like one year and, you know, seven months and we'll just call it two. It wasn't even one year, 11 months, and we'll call it good. It was two Full years. I don't know about you. Can you come into my world for a minute? I mean, I I don't know. I'm probably not the most um, patient person in the world. Okay? That probably is not something that would normally be put alongside of my name. I like to keep moving. I want to be, you know, whatever. And I don't know if you can remember back. I mean, it's becoming a receding memory. But when I was 28, you know, I I had enough energy to put me on a treadmill and I could light up St. Paul with the amount of energy that I had. All right? Because I was ready to, you know, go for it. Whatever it was, I was going for it. Joseph, 28-year-old. I mean, you know, he's in the prime of young adulthood, strength and all of that. And for two full years, he's sitting in that dungeon. That's a long time. That's what, 730 days unless it was a leap year? That's a long time to be waiting there. But what's the purpose? What, what, what's the purpose of those dungeons? Well, we already referenced it earlier, but let me just remind you. Job 23.10, He knows the way that I take when He has tested me, I will come forth as gold. As it says in the prophet Malachi, He will sit, this is about God, as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the, Lord will, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And let me remind you of what this picture is. It's that same picture of the heat, the furnace, except for now here we have a crucible, and there's precious metals in that crucible, and the heat gets turned up. The heat gets turned up so that it will separate the gold from the dross, from the impurities, and the impurities come to the surface, and then the person who is doing that, who is, who is working with it, the refiner, is looking and watching that crucible, and then when the impurities come up, takes a ladle or a scoop and comes across, 
and takes those impurities and takes them off, takes the dross, so that the purpose is, ultimately, and this is true, the purpose of what, how do you know when the metal has finally reached sufficient purity, it's when the refiner can see his reflection or her reflection accurately in the gold. That's the way God works in our lives. That's why we go through what we're going through. He's heating things up, not because He suddenly doesn't like you. God doesn't have bad days. He's not suddenly ticked off at you. But He loves you so much, He wants to purify your life so that His very reflection can be seen in you. So it's not distorted, but it's pure. And also, get this in this picture, because I think this is so important. When we're going through the dungeons, when we're going through the furnace, those are the times we're like, God, I don't know where you are. I think you've abandoned me. You've forgotten me. But just like the picture of the refiner, the refiner is closest to the crucible when the heat is the highest and he's bending over to look carefully. That's our God. That's our God who's bending over when you're in the middle of that crucible, he is there looking deeply into your life. Deeply into our life together. Deeply into my life in order to see. He's looking for his reflection. It happens corporately. Why are we fasting? We fast. This is it's a little counterintuitive and this is a little bit sometimes, you know, it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to fast. Well, The reason we fast is to turn up the heat. Because we want to accelerate that process of development in our lives. Because when we fast, suddenly things that were kind of below the surface start bubbling up. I shared with you. I mean, you know, I'm I'm fasting sweets and savories. I mean, it was the 100th anniversary of the Oreo last week. I mean, come on. Oreos are like manna from heaven, okay? And I couldn't even enjoy one. It's really not that bad. But, but in the process of doing this, of just fasting that simple way, God's already revealed stuff, things in me. Shown me how... You know, I go to those things because I want to be soothed, because I want a reward. Everybody out there is going, well, yeah, duh. But it's when, you know, when you're doing that, that God begins to reveal stuff. Some of you I know are going through computer and iPad and other kinds of things like that fasting. Glory to God. All right, because how much is that distracting you? How much stuff is constantly coming so that you don't even hear or see anymore. You get this? Are you seeing this? Okay? Hopefully I'm not just 
talking to myself this morning. You're hearing, okay? This is what it's, this is what God's doing. This is what he's about. Because he loves us. Back to what, I mean, so glad you keep referring to that because that was such a powerful, important exhortation. When we fall down, he wants to pick us back up. When we mess up, he wants to help clean us back up. Because he loves us. All right, now, we're finally ready to get to Genesis 41. All right. Which is a long scripture, so hang with me, and we're just going to, but I don't know, you know, I'll I'll try to condense pieces of it here for us, all right? When two full years, I'm in chapter 41 of Genesis, verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows, and then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads, and then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. These were, you know, the people, the, the kind of the religious leader folks of that, their religion and all of that, and said, you know, here he, t- he told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, uh, duh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. And each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, I love Joseph's response. Listen carefully. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But... God will give Pharaoh. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he recounts the dreams. First the dream of the cows, then the dream of the stalks of grain. Verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And God has, has what God has done is he has emphasized it by doing it twice, all right? So, um, here we go. He says, the seven good cows, verse 26, are seven years. The seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It's just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. 
And now, verse 33, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Well, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, well, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger, dressed him in robes of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Make way! Thus he was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zephanath Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the whole land of Egypt. Joseph was... 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Wow. In one day, Joseph went from dungeon to second in command. I think that's only God who's going to pull that one off. Thirteen years of that dream being tested, being tempered before God said, now, now you're ready. Let's go. Let's go. How do we become God's dream interpreters? And how do we become those who have the capacity to walk out the dreams that God gives to us. How does this happen? And so that's what we want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. The first thing that I want to talk about is character development. Those of you men who are on the men's retreat this weekend, it was a great time. Pastor Jim Anderson spoke deeply into this, particularly yesterday afternoon. Powerful. I think those the the uh, talks that Pastor Jim gave will be up on our website before too long, so you might want to get a hold of those. Why why was Joseph what was it about Joseph's character that made him ready to be an interpreter for God of dreams of Pharaoh and uh, and others? What is it that made Joseph prepared to be in the position that God elevated him to. What were those things in Joseph, and what do we learn about that for our own lives? Well, a couple, three things. And I would encourage you to write these down. There is a, a, a sheet of paper in the bulletin. That, uh, one, one side is the doorway to ministry, but the other side is for sermon notes. Um, I'd, I'd take some of this down. How are you? Just saying. 
you got a good as forgetter as I do, you'll uh, lose it quick. Joseph, there was a development going on in his character in that he was becoming a friend of God. His very identity was being transformed. God goes to the very core of our being. He starts always from the inside out. We talk a lot about this with the apprentices in our leaders in training. So these guys know and gals know of what I'm talking about here. Becoming a friend of God. I love John 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. God reveals his heart and plans and purposes and dreams to his friends. And so part of our identity that we want to have established in us is we want to become friends of God. 2 Corinthians 3 uh, parallels what Joseph said, I can't do it, but God will do it. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And so both our sort of, here we're, we're kind of blending two things, character and competence, but all of it is coming out of relationship with God. Our primary essential part of our identity that we need to grab hold of is that our identity is actually rooted in the reality that we are friends of God. And we become friends of God by receipt, by, you know, John 15 is in the context of the vine and the branches, by being in the vine, by being obedient to what the vine dresser, the Father, speaks into our lives. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Through Habitual obedience and ongoing virtue development in our lives, we become like Him. He sees His reflection in us and He begins to release more and more of His plans and purposes and thoughts to us. Does that make sense? And our competence actually is in Him as well. It's not in ourselves, it's in Him. He actually gives us the skills to do what he calls us to do. Integrity. Again, this is something we talk a lot about. So, so again, our apprentices will understand. When becoming, listen to this, this is essential. Becoming whole and holy. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that it is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, I'll be really honest with you. That scripture scares me. Because when I hear God say, be holy like I'm holy, I'm like, aha. How on earth can I do that? Well, I'll tell you this right now. You aren't going to do it by, you know, Second Hesitations 3.14, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and gritting your teeth, you know, I'm going to be more patient. It kills me. 
But here's where we fall back on the mercy of God and say, Oh God, help me. Help us, Jesus. Become more like you. And here's the thing about integrity. Integrity means wholeness. God is perfectly whole. He has no dysfunction. He has no distortion. There's nothing about him that is not whole. He's got no brokenness. But guess what? You and I do. But part of becoming an interpreter for God, part of God working his dreams out in us is that he desires for us to become more whole human beings. A greater wholeness in our lives. An integration of the various parts of who we are so that you know those broken shards and pieces come back into wholeness. We talked about this Thursday with our lit apprentices. About inspiration and being inspired, which really means... Inspired means breath. You know, all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Inspiration. You know, respiration speaks of breathing. Inspiration is God-breathing into our lives. You will not be an interpreter for God. You will not fulfill fully the destiny that God has for your life until you are filled. In Acts chapter 6, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. It says in Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me be very careful here. I'm not talking about simply a singular event. About being filled. I mean, I think those events are vitally important. It's absolutely significant for us to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and to experience the overwhelming flow of the Spirit into our lives. As significant and as essential as that is, even more significant and as essential is that there's this ongoing, continually being filled. I mean, Ephesians 5.18, it says, be continually filled with the Spirit. It's a constant posture of breathing in the presence of God and allowing Him to begin to blow his life into your life. Because if you want to be an interpreter for God, you're not going to be able to do that in your own sweat and strength and smarts. We need that anointing that comes from him. Does this make sense? All right. Let's go on. Now, here's the cupbearer talking. Remember, back in Genesis 41, 12. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. We're going to, this isn't the, I'm just going to run through this fairly quickly, but I just wanted to give us just a little bit, because we're talking about dreams here, and this year is the year of, you know, a year to dream. So how do we interpret dreams? Whether, again, whether they're even, you know, night dreams or day visions or just general things that God plants and puts into our spirit. How do we do that? Well, first of all, there's information. What is it? What 
And, and we need to understand, first of all, what's the source? Is it self? Is it Satan? Is it God? Okay? Now, now every dream that we have doesn't necessarily come from God. We need to understand and discern out what is the source of those dreams. Sometimes they're just coming out of our own self and we're working stuff out in our own subconscious. Or there's, you know, Not every single dream is from God. So some come just out of ourselves. Some, the enemy will try to plant into our thoughts uh, you know, and in, into our imaginations, things that, that are not, you know, I mean, all of us probably have had that experience, whether we know it or not, of having something that has come into us that's not from God. But then there are those things that come from God. They are from Him. We also need to understand what the scope of that dream is. Is it for me personally or is it somehow public? Is it a corporate? Is there something attached to it that's about more than just me? Is God doing something for me? Is he doing something broader than for me? That might be public as in even, you know, I mean, people get dreams for nations. People get dreams that impact. I mean, Joseph, well, Pharaoh is having a dream from God that affects his whole nation. Okay, so information. The second is interpretation. What does it mean? After we have the information that we're not done once we have information, we have to take it to the next step of interpretation. What does it mean? The first thing that the first thing that we must do is ask God for wisdom. God, help us understand what we're receiving, the information we're getting, what does it mean? Give me wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom. Help me understand what this is about. And then begin to listen to God for specific discernment about it. Discernment is sort of wisdom applied, helping to begin to to understand more fully what this is about. How do we listen to God for discernment? We look in His Word, we ask for His Spirit to help us, we talk to His people, and even we reflect on our own lives. In all of these ways, God helps us to begin to listen to Him for discernment. What does it mean? How do I interpret the information I've gotten? This is the vulnerable place. Between information and interpretation is where things can start to go awry. Because sometimes we interpret through our own unhealed places in our lives or we're, you know, we're driven in different ways. We need to come back to God over and over again for that interpretation. And finally, the application, what do we do with this? Well, we need to determine the type of dream that we're talking about. Are we talking about something that's just descriptive, describing what is? Or are we talking about something prescriptive, which is giving me something that I am to do with what I've been given informationally? Or is it predictive? Is it telling me something that's going to happen in the future? Not all dreams are future-oriented. They're, sometimes they're very present. Sometimes we even dream about things from the past and we begin to understand more clearly things in the past in order to help us in the present. Okay, so 
So you need to understand what kind of dream am I talking about? Am I talking about something that's descriptive, prescriptive, or predictive? And then decide a course of action. And the course of action, there's two key things here, which are timing and steps. God's timing is different than ours. We think of time very chronologically. God thinks of time in another way. The Greek word for for chronological is chronos, but there's another kind of time that God works in, which is called kairos time, which is when God steps into the chronos and something changes in the midst of ongoing time. Both are important to understand when we're understanding timings, because God may not have something for now, but he's telling you something that's for later. What is it, God? And then what are the steps that I'm to take? How can I, what's the first thing that I should do? Because it's usually progressive in its unfolding. We think, okay, you know, just like Joseph, he had the dream. He knew he was going to be lifted up into this place that he eventually was lifted up into. He just thought it was going to happen today. God had a 13-year timing, and God had other steps for him to take, which didn't seem to be getting him any closer to the final destination, did it? All right. Last slide. What can we do now? So what do we do now? So here I am. What do I do now? With dreams God's given me, with where, you know, what, what do I do? What are some steps that I can take right now? What do I, what, what do I do? Well, you can wait <laughs> with expectation. Waiting isn't sort of passive resignation. It's active expectation. It's like, okay, God, you've birthed this in my spirit. I'm going to pray into it. I'm going to keep waiting, and I'm going to keep pressing on this until you tell me to stop. But I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to... In that posture. That's what Joseph had to do. Trust. Joseph had to have incredible trust. We are called to be in a place of trust. A lot of what God's doing in the testing time is teaching us to trust him. I don't know about you, but that's been my lifelong lesson. It has been trust and surrender. I need to trust you more and surrender to you more. I'm telling you, that's what my life story is. If I have one life message, that's what my life message is. You can trust him. And whatever the question is, the answer is surrender. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I know it sounds so simplistic, but God just keeps <laughs> that into my spirit. For all of these years that I've known him, that's what he's been teaching me over and over and over again. Deeper and deeper levels. Bigger and bigger stuff. I've got to trust him more for big stuff. I've got to surrender to him more in big stuff. Walk. Isaiah 50, let him who walks in the darkness. Don't be paralyzed. You don't have to sit there in a ball, in a fetal position in the corner, waiting and trusting. While you're doing that, you keep walking. You keep on walking. Even when you can't see. I've told people, I mean, there was a season in my life when I walked through darkness for about three years. And that was a time when I, I used to walk to church on Sunday mornings and for three years every Sunday morning. This is not even an over-exaggeration. I, I just wanted to walk right on by. Not because of anything here, not because of people here, not, you know, not because it was because of darkness in my own soul. It's like, God, I, and I wasn't in 
you know, some gross sin or something like that. It was just the veil. The veils were there. It was. It was a. But I just kept walking, and I was obedient. Keep showing up. Keep walking. Keep thanking. <laughs> it's a hard place to do. But praise Him. Like Peter and James in, the, in prison. They praised Him even when they were in the shackles. Thank Him. It says in the end of 1 Corinthians 15, I love this, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't give up. Don't quit. The enemy's whispering, chattering in your ear. Ah, just give up. What, are you stupid? Come on. I ain't listening to that. Thank you. Papa, I'm going to listen to you. What have you told me to do? You've told me to stand firm, to let nothing move you, and to keep abandoning myself to you. And we have then the rest of the story. Genesis 41, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all of the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. And in each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. And Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. And before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of An. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It's because God has made me forget all of my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Isn't that beautiful? He's made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all of the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. And when all of Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, do what he tells you. And when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses, sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. The influence that Joseph ended up having was beyond our imagination, beyond his imagination, because of the development of character in his life, understanding issues of identity, being a friend of God, integrity, being a whole and holy before the Lord, inspired being filled of the Spirit. God gave him revelation of the dreams that Pharaoh had, and God did amazing things through Joseph's life. He wants to do amazing things through your life. As we close, I want to share with you a vision the Lord gave me this week 
on Thursday when we were praying together, Pastor Ben and Pastor Sam and I and our apprentices were praying, and the Lord um, put me under um, his presence and um, showed me something that um, I believe is his heart for us right now. And I, my only hesitation in sharing it is, is I don't, it's hard for me to encapsulate in words the picture that I saw in a way that will um, communicate the fullness of what it was to you, but I'll try my best. We're going to be singing Here is Our King, so whoever's up on PowerPoint, we're going to be singing Here is Our King, which was earlier in the service, which we did not do, right before the offering, the song right before the offering. The picture I saw was this, um, and it was overwhelming to me. I mean, like, way beyond overwhelming. Very simple. I saw an ocean of water. And I saw a wind blowing over that ocean and it was moving. And I saw above the ocean and the the ripples that were blowing because of that wind. I saw Um, I saw a bright morning star. More beautiful than any physical star I've ever seen. And so much brighter. And here's what the Lord spoke into my spirit. That ocean that you see That's the ocean of the Father's love. That wind that you feel blowing over that ocean is the, the breath of the Spirit blowing the ocean of the Father's love upon the shores of this earth. And that bright morning star is the Son of God in all of His beauty and clarity. My sense is is that right now, here in this house, but not only in this house, but I believe that this, I just got a picture of Papa's heart and of the depth of the ocean of His love. And a year ago today, a country was devastated by an ocean and, and, a, and a wind and, a, and a, you know, a, a natural disaster that came and brought devastation and destruction. But I would say to you today that the Lord has an ocean of His love which brings life and wholeness, which brings forth beauty. And this morning, if you need 
the breath of the Spirit to blow the ocean of His love over your heart. If you need the bright morning star to rise in the darkness of your circumstances, the invitation this morning is simply to come, to just step up to this altar and let Him begin to do His ministry in you. Because I believe that our King is here in all of His goodness and glory now. And that He wants to touch your hearts as He continues to temper and test your dreams. He's getting closer and closer. I feel His breath on the crucible as He blows off the dross and as He looks to see His face in us. Just open your hands if you would. Jesus, thank You for being the bright and morning star. Spirit, thank You for being the very breath of God. Father, thank You for Your unending ocean of love. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this season of time, as we continue, Lord, to pursue You together as a congregation here and individually, that You would blow Your love over our lives. And that You would be the true north, the star before us, leading us into all truth. God, come and reveal Yourself more fully to Your people and release Your goodness and grace and power in our lives, Lord Jesus. We welcome You, Spirit of the living God. Come and flow. Flow among us, O God, with all of Your life, with all of Your truth, with all of Your goodness, with all of Your holiness, with all of Your wholeness, God. Come, transform our lives that we might reflect You accurately. And now with open hands, receive. I pray that You would fill each and every one here now and all who hear the sound of my voice. May you be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, and the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His favor over your lives. Until we gather either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God, and may His goodness and grace chase you down. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you, people of God, in His name. Amen.